All right. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, if you are in middle school, then you guys can slip out with, uh, with Emily over here. Very humbled um, to be with you guys today. I know that uh, I know that sometimes like whenever you show up to church and there's like this different guy up there, you're like, I knew we should have skipped. Um, and that's okay, because I have been you before and sat in your seat and thought the exact same thing. Um, but I really do believe that um, the Lord has uh, entrusted me with the word to share with you guys, and I believe that there is going to be at least one of you um, that God wants to speak to today. Um, one thing uh, before I really get going, um, my wife and I, we, we really have a heart for the gospel um, we love to just, I don't know, whatever. We, we just lo- we love the gospel. We love Jesus, and we love people, and we want to see people come to know Jesus and be in relationship with him. And so uh, one of the things that we desire to do is to train and equip other people to be able to share the gospel. Um, and I know that many of us have sat in church, and we've heard pastors get up and say, go out, preach the gospel, and then we've walked away going like, where do I even begin? Like, how do I share the gospel? I've never done that before. Or you feel like you've got to walk through the whole Bible, and that's just too much. Um, You don't know where to start. And so um, we're going to be doing a training soon. We haven't set a time or a date or anything. But if you're interested in just getting more information, we put a sign-up sheet by the welcome room, and we would love um, to just reach out to you, give you more information. This is just simple handholds for us to begin to have conversations with those around us about Jesus. Um, so today I'm going to be teaching out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, if you guys would turn there in your Bibles. Um, we, the point of today's message is kind of captured in one verse. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So we're really trying to focus on what is this new creation? Who is it that we have been made into, and how do we live out of this new creation? Um, As you guys are hopefully turning in your Bibles, I know that it's up there, the cheat sheet, but uh, I wanted to give us a little bit of context before we jump into the passage, because it's a little wordy, and sometimes it's helpful to know what's going on. So Paul was a missionary to Corinth, and he had brought the gospel there. And as people were coming to believe in Jesus, a church was established. Um, So during Paul's time there, and and well after he left, there was another group of false teachers that were coming into Corinth and and trying to delegitimize the message that Paul had brought. So the way that they were trying to do that was by looking at Paul And they said, there's no way that God's hand is on this man. Look at how much he suffers. Look at how little money he has. And and look, he's a tent maker part-time, and he's going bald. There's no way that God has any favor on bald men. Um, um, And so these guys... They were really coming up and they were saying, but, but look at us, right? Like we are eloquent and we are well-dressed and we are wealthy. So surely God's hand is on us and our message is true. And this really did start to stir up some confusion in the church. And, and Paul is writing all of 2 Corinthians, but this part kind of hits it a little bit about 
his response to them. What is it that they're doing wrong? Like, how do, how do they respond to these false teachers and be able to stand by the truth that had been given to them through Paul? Um, so let's go ahead and jump in. And I will start reading in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearances and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for you, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we see that in Paul's response to them, he is imploring the church at Corinth to view him and the message he brought the same way that God views him. So something we've talked about as a church here is that God views the heart, right? He's not looking at how dressed we are, how well we speak, how talented we are, and this, that, and the other, but he's looking at what lives in us. Is our heart sincere and full of love and devotion, full of Christ? But we see that the perspective of the the non-believers and these false teachers was all external. It was all about the way that they looked and the way that they spoke. And they, and they didn't see anything that Paul had as valuable because, because of just the way that he presented himself. And so we all were once unbelievers, right? At one point, we didn't believe in Jesus and we regarded him according to the flesh. And so we still kind of wrestle with this. Um, we're trying to figure it out. Like, we're working on it, right? We want, to, we want to look at people the same way that God does, but it's hard. And so today, that's kind of what I wanted to focus on, is focusing on what is this new creation that we've been made into? What is our identity? Let's see ourselves the way that God sees us. And then, and then what is the identity of the non-believer, the person that has not put their faith and trust in Jesus? Who does God say that they are? Um, so, you know, first I wanted to, to look at the, the non-believer and the name that I felt like God was putting on my heart was beloved enemies. That that is who God says that these people are. And I know that that name feels weird. Um, it doesn't seem to live together very well, but I tried to split it into two parts. So one is person. So this is our nature, just uh, being a, your personness, right? Like you are a human, and that is your personness, and that doesn't change. And a dog is always a dog, and that's its nature, and it also will not change. And our position is where we are in relation to God. We are either for him or against him, and... Um, Hopefully that kind of helps you guys understand kind of the way that I'm dividing it up. But 
So the first thing that we see is beloved. I think that we're, we're all on the same page, I think, um, that God loves each and every one of us no matter how we respond to that love. I like that. Amen. That was good. When uh, we look at the famous passage, right? I mean, we all know it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that anyone that would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He loved them so much that he gave his son. We've heard that a million times and hopefully we believe it still. But also whenever we look at Jesus' life, it's easy to see that he loved. Right? He was walking, you know, he was doing life with, with messy people, man. He was, like, he was walking with fishermen and sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and people with diseases, like messy, sinful, broken people that he loved so much that he was going to live with them and he was going to walk with them day in and day out in hopes that they would be in relationship with him in hopes that they would be reconciled to the Father and that they would enter into a relationship with him. That's easy to swallow, right? It's easy to hear that and go, man, that's great news. God loves me. But when we hear about enemy, that's a hard pill to swallow. And I think that many of us really struggle with that idea because we know people that I'm putting under this umbrella, right? And you go, I don't feel like they're an enemy. They definitely don't believe in Jesus, but it's not like they're burning churches down. They're not actively, you know, rejecting and trying to disprove who Jesus is. They, they just don't believe, right? But the thing is that whenever we go all the way back to Genesis and we see Adam and Eve and they eat the forbidden fruit in the garden, See, that sin wasn't just because God told them, hey, uh, don't eat that fruit, and then they disobeyed by eating the fruit. That's not what that sin, there there was a greater statement made by that act of disobedience. And what that statement was, was, we know that you're king, but I want to be king. I want to be the Lord of my own life, and so I want to do things my way. And ever since, we have all followed suit, ever own life. But God is a jealous God and the one true and rightful king. And so anyone that would challenge his lordship and to say, well, I'm the king of my life. God must be in opposition to you must be in opposition to one another because there's only one king. So we are fully loved, fully loved by God. But we were totally against his lordship. I spent most of my uh, life, my youth, um, with God's beloved enemies, right? People that would be categorized as this. These are people that I loved, and I just enjoyed spending my time with them. Um, I've got my friend Robbie over here. He's an old friend of mine. We've walked together for a long time, and uh, we used to play music, and Anyways, we spent a lot of time in like the hardcore punk rock music and lots of non-believers there that we, we love them and, and pray that they find Jesus. But anyways, I wanted to tell you guys about one of my friends in particular. His name is Patrick. 
We became friends my freshman year of high school, and we hung out almost every single day after school. Um, We didn't play sports. We didn't have hobbies. We would just sit on a porch and talk. That's all we did every day. We just sat and talked and laughed, and we had a great time. And, And out of our hundreds or thousands of conversations, there was probably a dozen or more times that I shared the gospel with them. You know, at that time in my life, I'm not really sure I knew how to share the gospel, but I did the best that I could, the best that I knew how, right? You know, I told him about this God that loves him, the peace that's found in relationship with Jesus, and the life that is to be had, right? Whenever we follow Jesus, it leads to life. Like, this book is not just a book of rules. It it is a a pathway to life. You know, we get to see that Jesus walked in truth. And so I told him about the gospel, right? And he would respond to me in a very similar way almost every time. He would say, Russell, I love you, man. And I respect your faith. But I would rather die on my feet than live on my knees. See, Patrick didn't want to submit to anything or anyone. He wanted to be the king of his own life. After high school, Patrick got addicted to team. Um, See, because Patrick wanted to be the king of his own life, it led him to the grave. I just want to stop there for a second. I I don't want people to misunderstand. It's not just this, like, heroin, right? Heroin leads you to the grave. That's obvious, right? But, like, anything, anything apart from the lordship of Jesus... It leads us to the grave and eternal separation from him. Life is found in Jesus and in relationship with him. And that's what he offers us as as being the Lord, right? We get to enter into relationship with him. So when we're king, we're always headed to the grave. When he's king, we're always headed towards life. I know that many of you guys have people that you love the way that I love Patrick. You've got friends and family and coworkers that have rejected Jesus and put themselves in opposition to them. And it breaks your heart to think about them being separated from him. But I want you to know that no matter how much you love them, God loves them so much more than you. And so that when we weep for these people, God weeps with us. So if that is the non-believer, let's continue reading to see what this passage says about who we are. Picking up in verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that is, in Christ God, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Um, so in this passage, we see again kind of two parts to our identity. The first thing that we see is that we have been reconciled to God, that because of what Jesus accomplished, we have been made able to be in relationship with the Father once more. We've been made sons and daughters. And immediately after that, it talks about we've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation, that we have been transformed into ambassadors. You know, an ambassador is a, uh, is a servant, a high-ranking servant, that would be a representative of the king, right? So the king would give the ambassador a message, and then they would go into the other kingdoms, these small kingdoms, right, of the beloved enemies, and they would bring the message of reconciliation, the message of the king, and then that person could, too, come and enter into relationship with God the Father, Um, I know that a lot of times whenever we think about the word servant, right? So the, the title, right? The, we are God's servant, sons and daughters. Whenever we think about servant, we think about activity. We're not thinking so much about title or position or identity as much as it is like, what does a servant do? That's what our mind goes to. And, and something that David says all the time that I firmly agree with is that identity precedes activity. It's like who you are defines what you do. It's not the other way around. So if identity precedes activity and being a servant is our position, then that should inform what we do. But, you know, the, the easiest way I think for us to imagine this is a light. If you have a light, the light does not decide to be a light. The, the light can't choose to turn itself off and on. It can't turn into something else, right? But if a light is put underneath a basket, it does not stop being a light. It just doesn't do what it was made to do. So in the same way, like any of us that are in Christ, we've been made a new creation. We've been made a light. And, and this new creation, right, this is... A Christian, that is what your new identity is. It is, the word Christian means little Christ. We've been made into the likeness of Jesus. And when we look at Jesus, we often agree to, I hope that all of us agree to this statement, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's easy to claim. I feel like we, we see, okay, Jesus is a son, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. That's That's great. And true and good. But Jesus was also a servant. And he was a servant to all. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He said that. He said, I don't do my will, but I do the will of him who sent me. And Jesus was the first ambassador bringing the message of reconciliation. 
Right? He, he came from the kingdom of heaven, building a bridge, making a way, carving a path, coming into yours and my little kingdom. This thing that we built up for ourselves. And he came in and he said, come back to God. Be reconciled. And then as we repent and as we turn and we enter into the kingdom and we submit to his lordship, we get transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That we become sons and servants. Let's not divorce the two. Oftentimes, we do connect our jobs with our identity. Um, and a lot of times we kind of uh, encourage people not to do that. Um, but I wonder if we're not too far off from the truth, right? Like if you were to meet me, I'd say, hi, I'm Russell. And you'd probably ask me, what do I do? Because, because you connect what my job is to who I am. And it has something to do with me, right? But, like, but I'm a janitor, so you would say, hey, Russell, what are you doing? I'm a janitor, okay. But, like, but the thing is, is like being a janitor is not my job. That's how I get paid, right? That's what I do to make money. And those of us in this room, like, we thought that we were janitors and contractors and businessmen and women and homeschoolers. That's what we thought our jobs were, and we thought that that kind of defined us in a way. But what the scripture is saying is that that wasn't your job at all. What your job is is to be an ambassador and a servant, son and daughter of Jesus, So whether you knew that you had this job or not, I just want to say congratulations. <laughs> you just found out that you have the best job on the planet with the best boss, really great benefits, and it's almost impossible to get fired. It's really hard. It's really, really hard to get fired. Um, kind of funny. I'm not that funny of a guy. It's always on accident. I promise you. So we just found out that we've got this job. And some of us might be thinking, okay, am I the right person for the job? Like, can I do it? Some of you guys are go-getters. You're, you're tenacious, right? You hear about this new job and you go, okay, what do I have to do? Like, what's the job descriptions? I got to start becoming whoever it is that I need to be in order to be able to live in this. And um, I, it kind of made me think about this book called The Ideal Tem Team Player. It's, um, it's not the Bible, so um, hang in there with me. I'm, I'm just trying to make a point. In this book, the author is trying to help employers identify key characteristics to the people that they're interviewing so that they can hire the best people to work on their team the best employees. And that's who God wants, right? Like God wants great employees, I imagine. And uh, in this book, the characteristics that he points out is humble, hungry, and smart. So humble, right? This is a person that, that doesn't think less of themselves, but thinks of themselves less. A person that's willing to put others before they put themselves. Hungry, you know, a person that believes so much in the product or service of the company that they work for, that they desire to see the company grow, not just their own 
business, their own personal position, but they want to see the company grow and expand. And that they're so smart that they're able to kind of read beyond just what people are dishing out, right? Like, not just what people say or how they dress, but they can kind of look and see what's going on inside of people. And I think about for myself, and I think about for you guys, and um, you guys are a nice-looking group of people, you know, you seem pretty smart. I bet, I bet that you could sit down in an interview, you know, thinking about these things, and you could, you could say the right things, you could tell the right stories, and you could come across as humble, hungry, and smart, right? At least by the standards of this employer, right? Some, some random guy sitting across the table, if you, if you say the right things, he's going to go, oh, well, I mean, I mean it, you've only got to be as humble as him, as hungry as him, as smart as him. But what if it was God? What if it was God across the table interviewing us? And he knows the deepest and darkest parts of our hearts, and he knows where we fall short. What would he say, and what would he see? You know, I know that if God were looking at me, that he would say, Russell, when you were my beloved enemy, you were not humble. Everything you did, you did for you. And you certainly were not hungry. You weren't hungry for the kingdom. The only thing that you wanted to expand was your kingdom and your lordship. And you were not smart because you judged everyone according to the way that they looked and the way that they spoke and how much money they had. And then... He would look at me, and then he would say, but I don't see you that way anymore. I've made you a new creation. When I see you, I no longer see you according to your sin, but I see you according to Christ's righteousness. I see Jesus in you, and Jesus was perfectly humble, hungry, and smart. And he was born in the filth of a manger. I don't know how much lower it gets. He was so humble that he walked with sinners and he washed the feet of fishermen. And he was so humble that even though he lived a perfect life, he died a sinner's death. Pay for my sin and your sin. And Jesus was so hungry that he devoted every moment of every day to see the expansion of the kingdom of God. He wanted to see it grow and expand so that people could be in relationship with him. And of course, he was so smart that he knew the hearts and the thoughts of men. So that's how God sees us. He doesn't see how short we fall. He sees Jesus Christ in us. He has made us able. And I know that some of you guys 
might be sitting there thinking, that's great. I'm really glad that God sees me that way. But Russell, I don't see me that way. Maybe you just don't feel like you got what it takes. You don't feel like you cut it. But I want you guys to know that God has made you able. Another story about my friend Patrick. Um, I was not very good at being a Christian um, for a long time. Um, Maybe I'm still not good at it. I don't know. I'm working on it. Um, But I made a lot of mistakes. I definitely was a bad example of who Jesus was to a lot of people around me. And as I was growing closer to God and starting to follow him more faithfully, he asked me to go back and to reach out to people that I had hurt and people that I had been a poor example to and to apologize. And so in faith, right, I I call my friend Patrick and I I just start to tell him I'm sorry. I just say, hey, man, I, I just want you to know that I'm really sorry for how prideful I was for how selfish I was and and how I judged you and other people. I just wasn't a very good Christian, and I'm really sorry. And he stopped me, and and he said, Russell, what are you even talking about? He said, you're the best Christian I've ever known. I just remember getting off the phone and coming before God and thinking, how is this possible? How could I be the best Christian that Patrick knew? I'm a mess, God. And he told me two things. He said, one, you are the only light in the darkness of his life. You were the only Christian that knew him and loved him. And two, that God made him able to see not me, but Jesus Christ in me. So no matter how you feel or believe about yourself, whatever it is that you think that you can and cannot do, I want you to know that those who are in Christ are a new creation and that God has made you able. Unfortunately, I know that there's probably somebody out there thinking, that's great, but Patrick didn't follow Jesus. And I know. I know that. But I'm thankful that that's not my job. My job isn't to save people. I've been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. I recently heard a man say, when we get to heaven, we will not stand before God And him say, well done, good and fruitful servant. That's not what he's going to say. But hopefully, we'll get to heaven and we'll stand before our Lord. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be a faithful servant. 
And it doesn't matter how many people that I love come to know Jesus and repent from their sins and, and, and call Jesus king. It's not what I'm being judged according to. One day I get to stand before God and I could have seen no one saved, no one changed. But because I try, for him above all things, because I love Jesus, I carry the message of reconciliation into the little kingdoms of his beloved enemies. And I hope that they repent and believe. But God's not judging me by my fruit. He's judging me by my faithfulness. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 6, we see that God has a message. A message for the Israelites. And so he calls out and he says, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds and says, Here I am, God send me. So each of us in this room just read that we've been given a message of reconciliation. Come back to God. And I believe that God is asking each and every one of us today that same question. Whom shall I send and who will go for me? How are we going to respond? The beginning of being an ambassador doesn't start with um, talking about Jesus all the time to everybody that you see. It doesn't, it doesn't start with trying to squeeze Jesus into every conversation and being really righteous and walking around and knocking on doors. It's not about that. Those things can be really good. I want us to share the gospel. That is the truth. We need to. But that's not where it starts. Where it starts is when we get on our knees and begin to pray. And we pray that God would soften the hearts of his enemies that they would see their need for a king. And so today, I want us to start there. Whenever we do ministry time, Bo will come up and play worship here in just a moment, and ministry teams will come up. And, and if you guys have people in your life that you know are beloved enemies, those that have rejected the lordship of Jesus, and your heart is broken for them. Let's begin to pray for them together so they can know the good, the good love that comes from the Father. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, Son of God, send me. Here we are, God. Send us. 
Lord, help us to live in our identity and help us to discover the peace that even comes from a life that lives um, cohesively with our identity. Lord, if, if we have been made into servants and yet we do not serve, Lord, we are missing out, Lord, and we will feel as if there's a part of us that contradicts who we truly are. Lord, I pray that you would begin to reveal to us who it is that you have made us to be. Help us to live in the truth. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, Father. Lord, I do ask that you would soften the hearts of all those that we love that have turned away from you. I pray that the next time that we see them and that we share the gospel with them, Lord, that they would respond. They would respond to your love. In Jesus' name I pray.